Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the official Mike's Hot Honey podcast where we interview chefs and pizza people from New York City and beyond. I'm your host Mike Kurtz, founder of Mike's Hot Honey and today on the podcast we've got a very, very special guest, our good friend Paul Giannone, better known as Paulie G, joins us to chat about how he transitioned from a career in computer IT to open his own pizzeria in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Paulie's one of the most pizza-obsessed people we know, and in this episode, you'll hear Paulie tell his story about how he took his obsession with pizza and turned it into a successful business. We also learn more about the new slice joint Paulie's opening later this year in Greenpoint. And at the end of the pod, we jump into a rapid-fire round of questions that I know you'll love. So sit back, relax, and tune into the sweet sounds of Paulie G doing what he loves most. Talking pizza. We're here at 60 Greenpoint Avenue, sitting across from the one and only Paulie G. Welcome to the Mike's Out Honey podcast. Thank you, Mike. It's great to have you here. Uh, you've been very busy. We've been courting you, trying to get you on the show, but. Uh, it's yeah. more like I've been prying you to get me on the show. Well, in any case, we're here. Um, this is where it all began for Mike's Hot Honey, um, and this is where your temple of pizza now feeds thousands of New Yorkers every week. Temple of pizza, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. Hey, it is. Um, you quit your, your day job in computer IT at age 56, and... You opened a pizzeria on a sleepy block in Greenpoint in 2010, and now your name is on five different pizzerias, right? And soon to be six. And soon to be six, with the new Poly G slice joint that we'll get to. Um, how does it feel to uh, have come such a long way in, in a short period of time? It's beyond my wildest dreams. I can't, you know, I still can't believe that, you know, What's happened has happened. Uh, just one little correction, though. What's the street that? was sleepy, but I saw that it wasn't going to be sleepy that long. And I, I did whatever I could to get this space because I, I knew that this neighborhood was going to blow up. So there was a restaurant that inhabited the space before, before you. There was a fire here. Uh, there was a fire here on election night 2008. Uh, there was no damage to the restaurant, only to the, the space upstairs. Uh, it wasn't for rent. There was no sign on it. But uh, my now friend, Ed Raven of uh, Browery Lane and Greenpoint, Beer and Ale, he said he knew I was looking. I talked with him a lot. He said, um, you should go check out that space. It's for rent. I said, well, there's no sign there. He said, check it out. And I did, and he was right. Worst thing you could do, though, was track down a landlord and tell me you want to rent their space without him advertising it because they got you by uh, the testicles. Right. Well, before we jump into present-day Poly G's and the, the future slice joint that you're opening, I just want to go back to the very beginning, what started your pizza craze. And it, it, you're truly pizza-obsessed because we just came back for the Pizza Expo in Vegas and you came off several days of eating pizza talking pizza and where did you go when you get when you came back straight from the airport to Totonos straight to Totonos would have went to New Park but we had gone on the way out 
So you hit New Park on the way to the Pizza Expo and you hit the Tonos on the way back. That is correct. So you clearly have a pizza problem. Uh, it's not a problem for me. Maybe a problem for my waistline, but... Uh. Well, what, what started this craze? There's, you know, I'm sure you've heard of pizza cognition theory, which says that you... I tell people about the pizza cognition theory every time they come in with the babies. Why don't you explain what the pizza cognition theory is? Well, the pizza cognition theory states that the pizza that you have first is the, is the pizza that tastes best to you for the rest of your life. My little twist on it is I believe it is the pizza that you, you first remember that tastes best. And the slice that I had first was at a little, I call it a half a pizzeria on uh, McDonald Avenue near church. It was around 1958. Uh, it might be called Sal's. I'm not sure. Is this in Kensington? It's in Kensington. What's now called Kensington. In Brooklyn. Which then was called Church McDonald. Uh, the library said Kensington. The post office said Kensington. Nobody called it Kensington. But that slice, it was just a regular New York slice. It had a nice balance of cheese and sauce. And it's just something that I, I, I've loved ever since. I, I But... For the longest time, that's all I knew about pizza. I, I never went any place that had bar pies. My, my parents didn't hang out in bars, you know. Um, so I had New York slices, Sicilian slices, places like Spumoni Gardens, a place called Gino's on uh, 13th Avenue. Uh, that was my very first, you know, Sicilian love. There was a place a couple of blocks from there, Lenny's, who had a great regular slice. But that's all I had until I, I got tired of hearing about a place called Totono's in Coney Allen. Um, and had to go check it out for myself because to me, you know, a, a slice of pizza is a slice of pizza. What could be different? Uh, finally, there was an article, I believe it was in the Village Voice, and I read about it and I said, okay, I have to go check it out. I went and, and it was a whole different experience and, and I really loved it. And I talked about what made it different to the owner and, you know, he talked about coal and how coal made it different. And that just kind of set me on a quest to find other pizzas that were really good. I'd started by just looking for places that had coal oven pizza, and you know, I thought that was always going to be the best. I'd go, I remember even going to a place right here uh, nearby in Long Island City, Bella Via, which I'm pretty sure is still there. Still there, yeah. And I, and I went there just because they had a coal oven. And uh, eventually I branched out and I learned a little bit more about, you know, wood oven pizza. They started uh, making Napoli Don. Uh, style pizza in, in places in New York. The first place that I really had a love for was uh, 28 Carmine, or numero 28. And um, I, I, then, then I discovered Una Pizza Napolitana and other places, and it all went from there. And uh, we started going on pizza tours and checking out different places. We'd mix in New York slice joints um, and such. And so that all started. When, when did you first go to Totono's? Mid-90s. 95, 96. My, actually, my children always point out to me that before we got into Totono's and that whole thing started, on our way down south when we'd go on road trips, um, we would stop in Trenton and go to uh, De Lorenzo's. We, um, we went to De Lorenzo's on Hudson Street, but whenever Mrs. G was with us, we had to go to the De Lorenzo's on Hamilton, which is slightly different and not really as good. Uh, because What's they. They had a bathroom, and um, they had no bathroom at Hudson. What style of pies? Is that a Jersey tavern uh, style? Tomato pies. Okay. You know, Jersey tomato pies, pretty much. The one thing that I loved at Delos that uh, on Hamilton, 
was their white clam pie. It was really good. Their crust wasn't quite like um, Hudson, but I loved that clam pie. It was really nice and garlicky, a lot of parsley on it. Um, and so that was really the, the first diversion from your typical New York slices, but it, it you know really blew up from there. So there, there were about 15 years between when you, you first got put on to upper echelon pizza. You're, you started in the mid-90s really yep. touring and going deep into the Tatonos and the Patsies of the world. Then you, you built the oven in your backyard. When was that? That was 2009? 2007. 2007. Right. I, was, I was going to open up. A friend of mine came to me and said that um, he wanted to, me to open up a, a franchise called La Peep, which is a nice little franchise, mostly in Colorado. They have one here in Edison, New Jersey, that he was familiar with that had been doing well for like 20 years. And he thought it was a great idea, a great opportunity, and he said to me that he'd build the whole thing and, and it would be mine, and I would just give him 5% of the gross. He was looking to create, you know, uh, an asset for himself. And I liked that idea, kind of, because... I, I could still live my family life because it was only uh, breakfast and lunch. They closed at 3 o'clock or 2.30. Um, and we started pursuing that all over New Jersey, looking for spots. And thank God we didn't find the right spot because if we did, uh, I might be doing that today and, and not this. And it wouldn't have been nearly as satisfying. I started realizing early on in 2007 that really, you know, it wasn't going to float my boat to to execute exactly other people's recipes every day, day in, day out. And I had a, this love for pizza, and we, I went to a couple of places that, that had built their own pizza ovens. One was Numero 28, and the other was a place in Nutley, New Jersey, called, at the time it was called Regina Margarita, and they had to change their name to Queen Margarita. And both the, you know, they built those ovens there, and I started thinking about it, and, you know, I, I always was told that I should open up a restaurant because the thing that I love to do for entertainment more than anything, other than maybe skiing, was to invite people to my house and cook for them. You know, maybe 10 people. Um, I just really enjoyed that, even though it was really hard work. Um, and I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for it because I, I had a full-time job. Um, and I'd play music for them. And, you know, we'd have great conversations. But people would say, open up a restaurant. And, and I had no desire to. And I told them that. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. That is not me at all. You know, I, my think, thought process was, um, you know, how do you coordinate uh, serving entrees and appetizers and, and, you know, various different things and get everybody to get their food at the same time and so on and so forth. And I just wanted no part of it. And I thought that I'd miss my family life on the weekends, right? But I had to do something because my um, IT career uh, sucked, okay? Um, I got by, I paid some of my bills. Some of my, you know, some of my bills wound up on uh, commercial credit cards, which got rolled into, uh, you know, refinancing the mortgages. And, you know, I had all of these bills to pay. And um, I just, you know, and the reason for that was uh, I, I chose a career, you know, as a, an IT professional, but I wasn't a geek. And I just grinded it out, and you know, I, I kind of plateaued, and I, I took an early retirement uh, from uh, an AT&T affiliated company, and I went out and I became a consultant. The next day, that's what everyone did. You go out and you, you, you do the same thing you did before, but without a salary, you just charge the company, and they don't have to worry about your benefits, so on and so forth. 
it wasn't working out so well because uh, not being a geek that I was competing with, um, I wasn't getting the best assignments. Sometimes I wasn't getting any assignments, and I found myself, quote-unquote, on the bench for weeks at a time, sometimes longer, which uh, was very stressful, and I just had to do something. And uh, at that point, um, this, this love for pizza I had um, made me realize that all these places I was going to had a very simple operation. And that emboldened me. It made me think, well, um, you know, that's something that I could do uh, and it wouldn't make my head spin too much. So I decided uh, that I was going to build an oven. I started talking to people about the cost of it and uh, it was thousands of dollars. And then somehow I got wind of uh, some free uh, oven plans. Uh, it's never been handy, but you know, sometimes determination can overcome stuff like that. And I decided I was going to build this oven. And my friend who wanted to open up Lapeep with me uh, happened to be um, someone who had a real passion for masonry. He was in the construction business before. Um, and I enlisted his help. I also thought that he would invest in a pizzeria. Uh, as it turns out, he didn't think the pizzeria was a good idea. But, uh, you know, I'm grateful to him to this day for all the help he gave me. Well, we built this oven. Um, it was coming along slowly, and I bought the bricks sometime in uh, late August, I think, in 2007, and um, I cut them all in half. I rented a brick cutter for the day, um, and it was coming along slowly, and my son called um, from the Air Force Academy, said he was coming home with his um, friend for Thanksgiving, and he was excited about eating pizza out of the oven. This was sometime, I guess, in October. And, um, and I kind of hemmed it on and said, well, I don't know if it's going to be ready then. We, you know, it's been going kind of slow. And, and he kind of, you know, as you know, I like to say, he threw the challenge down at me. And, you know, so I'm coming off of Thanksgiving and I, you know, better have some pizza out of that oven. And I, I knew that I had to show him that you have to set goals and you have to go after them and accomplish them. So I had no choice but to have that oven finished by Thanksgiving. And that's what happened. Uh, Thanksgiving Eve or the day before, um, we had our first pizza come out of that oven. Uh, you know, and all along, uh, once I started building the oven, I was telling people I was going to open up a pizzeria. I learned um, prior to that in multi-level marketing, which is something that I was also involved in during my corporate career, um, that you have to speak things into existence. Okay, you have to make commitments. You have to believe in yourself, and and, and I believe uh, that I could get that oven built. Um, and I believe that by looking around and seeing other people without a background in, in the restaurant industry or, you know, in pizza specifically, um, there were people who were very successful. One in particular was Mark Iacono, he, uh, of Blue Collie. He's a guy at 38 years old, I guess he was. He decided he was going to open up a pizzeria. He built it all with his, with his own hands. Um, God bless him. And uh, within a matter of days of him opening, had a very successful pizzeria. And that put a, a, a boatload of belief in me. So um, I, I told everybody I was going to do it. And um, I started inviting people over and practicing and experimenting. Um, and eventually, um, I thought that my pizza was something that my pizza enthusiast friends um, would think was good. Because I had a lot of pizza enthusiast friends. I was a participant in a, a great pizza website that's now, at least for now, defunct, Slice. And I wanted to impress them. 
And I, also, you know, I wanted to get the word out that I was going to be doing this, and I certainly didn't want to give them mediocre pizza. So I waited until, um, you know, I thought I had a good product, and I, I got them basically pretty much to invite themselves um, to my house for pizza tastings. I never begged anybody. I got to say the the first time I saw your name was not. It was before you even started doing, before you were profiled on Slice, because they did a profile of you in your backyard at a certain point. Before then, I saw your name in the comments section of Slice, and I started seeing it frequently. And that's, that's, that was my first experience with you, was as a commenter on the Slice blog, because you were a frequent commenter. I was. I enjoyed that. And, and in addition to commenting, every once in a while I drop in a, a link to you know, a, a folder on Flickr of um, my pizzas, perhaps, or other places I went for pizza. So I did a lot of that. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it, too. I enjoyed the interaction. Slice was a real, uh, it was a real pizza community. It really was. And, and it's very sad that it's gone now. There's, there, you know, there's another pizza forum out there that tends to be a little more technical, and it, it's just it's not the same. I really miss it. I miss it a whole lot. And I wish somebody would, you know, take it up and, and run with it now. Was that your first piece of press when, when uh, was it Adam that came out and, and did, did the tasting my, at your house? My actual first piece of press, it had to do with Adam. What happened was, and I love this story, uh, Adam uh, posted Adam a story. Cuban. Adam Kubin posted a story um, by, about a guy named uh, Josh who uh, had a website with Kenji Ault. Uh, called GoodEater.org, and uh, Josh was um, was in South Africa. He was a graduate student at NYU, and he was working on on a project to help uh, local farmers, you know, fight big agra and uh, and survive. Uh, working with banks to help them get financing and so forth. And uh, he came across this one farmer, uh, a chili farmer, and and the guy had this pizza oven on his property. And he would feed his, you know, his workers. He would feed his family. It said he kept the oven going 24 hours a day. I find it hard to believe, but he did. So Josh wrote this, um, this story about it. And, at the, and it was a great story. Um, and at the end of the story, it said, if you know anyone, and he called it Pizza Oven Lifestyle Episode 1. And he said, if you know anybody with a pizza oven lifestyle, please let me know. So what I did was immediately... I wrote in the comments, Josh, we got to talk. And I spelled it, G-O-T-T-A. We got to talk. And I put a link to my Flickr folder that had pictures of my pizza oven there. And within about an hour, we, we were corresponding back and forth. And um, he wound up coming. Um, I set up a pizza tasting. It was on Thanksgiving weekend 2008. He came out with um, his brother, uh, his father, uh, some friends, a guy named Matt Picone, who's a great guitar tech, by the way, if you're listening, Matt, um, and, uh, and his, his mother, uh, Matt's mother, and had a great pizza tasting, and he wrote about it, and Adam picked it up, and he posted it, and he said something at the very beginning um, of the piece that led, led me, you know, to believe that I could get 
Adam to come to my, because my goal was to have Adam come and have my pizza and say it was good, because if Adam says pizza is good, you know, you're golden, right? So, and I liked Adam anyway. I just didn't want him to my house for that. You know, we, we were pizza friends, right? Um, but I wasn't going to beg him to come and have my pizza because that would just set me up uh, not well. Um, but he said, one of the very first lines in the article, and you can go back and find it, it's called Pizza Madman or something. He said, Josh Levin of GoodEater.org scored a pizza tasting at Paulie G's house. So right away I knew that he felt that that was something that was desirable. So I started working on getting him there without really, you know, begging, let's say. And then he came to my house uh, with Scott Wiener and some other people. There was a woman, Lois Heyman, uh, who was a writer for the Courier News in, in Central Jersey. Um, and they came. It was a very momentous weekend. Um, it was um, Easter weekend, 2009. And I knew he was coming. And, and with my oven, um, you had to have somebody working. I made my pizza inside my house in my kitchen and brought it out to the oven to cook. So you had to have somebody tending to that oven while I was making the pizza to make sure it was hot. And with each pizza tasted, I would assign somebody to do it. Some people put in more effort than others. Um, usually what happened was it was the Yankee fans that were great at it. And, and, and the Met fans, they kind of, and, and this is not a joke. I, I know two specific Met fans <laughs> that, that, like, I walked out to the oven and it was like, you know, the temperature was going down. And they were inside on the couch watching the game. It took you 22 minutes into the podcast to take a shot at the Met fans. Well, fortunately for you, I don't have any Red Sox fans to take a shot at. So, okay, but this is true. I'm not making this up. I won't name, I won't name them by name. I wouldn't want anybody to think that I talk badly about my accountant or, you know, uh, a very good friend. Uh, so I won't name them. But um, Michael, my son, was a great oven master. Okay. So his birthday happened to be Easter Sunday, April 12th. So I said, Michael, how would you like to come home? Because I wanted to make sure that, that, that my pizza tasting for Adam was you know, the best pizza tasting I ever had. So I, I flew him home for the weekend. Um, and he was coming in that Friday night at LaGuardia Airport, maybe about 9 o'clock. And I had been looking for a space for a pizzeria. Uh, and I wasn't, you know, things weren't working out too well. I wanted to open up in Williamsburg, but uh, for a couple of reasons I couldn't. You know, it was expensive, but uh, more importantly, there were a couple of pizzerias there already, and both of the owners uh, were very helpful to me. I, I picked their brains uh, clean, especially Matthew Palombino from Motorino. And I certainly wasn't going to open up in the same neighborhood as him. Um, so I decided that I was going to check out Greenpoint because it was maybe the next neighborhood, maybe. Um, so in killing time, I was off that day for some reason, which is unusual for most businesses. They were closed on Good Friday. And I came in and I made some appointments to look at spaces in Greenpoint because I had been to Greenpoint and all I saw when I looked for spaces was Manhattan Avenue. And at that time, and, and probably still to this day, um, there were mostly dollar stores and Polish restaurants. Not that I have anything against either of those types of establishments, especially good Polish restaurants. Um, but somebody encouraged me to go back, as, you know, because I said, you sure those people that, that I see in Williamsburg, those people I see in Bedford and North 7th are in 
Greenpoint as well. And he says, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're there. And I said, you sure? I said, they ride bicycles? Oh, they ride bicycles, all right. Okay. Because this guy despised the bicycle riders in Greenpoint. Okay. This guy's a little old school. Um, so I went back, and it was that good Friday, and I'll never forget it. I parked my car, and no sooner did I get out of my car that Jesus was walking up the street being whipped. Okay, they had it was good for it was three o'clock, and they they have this procession every year. There's a little um, there's a little church on the corner of Franklin and, and Eagle Street, and they do this, and I'll never forget seeing that. Um, I, I met with, with a realtor. I looked at a couple of spaces. Um, I, I didn't find anything that day, but I looked at the corner of Greenpoint and Franklin, and I saw. You know, there were bars around there, and there were bars close by. And I said, this is it. I, I saw what was going to happen to this neighborhood. And I said, I'm home. I got to do this. I went and I uh, got Michael at the airport. I said, Michael, I got to show you this. We drove back. I drove past Browery Lane. I'll never forget that. The neighborhood was kind of quiet, but there's this Browery Lane. It was a cool-looking place with people inside. And you could see that something really special was going to happen here. And I went home. We had our pizza tasting with Adam. And... Uh, Michael flew back, I guess, that Monday. And, so uh, you actually saw this block the same day that Adam and Scott came out for your pizza tasting? The day before. The day before. And guess where we went on the way home? We went to Keste on the way home. Huh. It was the first time I ever went to Keste. They had just opened up. And I met, I remember sitting down and talking with Roberto. Wow. Michael, we were talking about putting garlic on pizza. You shouldn't put garlic on a pizza with cheese on it. He has this rule. I, I shouldn't talk about rules, right? But he had this rule. You don't put garlic on a pizza with cheese, right? I remember talking to him about it. I still have pictures. You could go on Flickr, and you could find my picture from uh, my pictures from that night. We'll include a link to your Flickr account. That would be great. That would be great. It's still there. There's a bunch of great stuff on there. I think you'd enjoy it. So you had your first sort of high-profile pizza tasting in the back of your, your house you know, in the oven that you built in 2009, Easter weekend. You opened here about a year later in 2010, is that right? 11 months later, March 9th, 2010. So when you first opened, tell us about how you, you, you figured out how to get the right oven. I mean, you got a Stefano Ferrara oven. It's, for me, it's like the, the best oven that money can buy. It produces the best pies. Um, well, what happened, what happened was, um, my first thought was, boy, I could save a lot of money building my own oven. I built a smaller one. Maybe I could build one on a larger scale. But I knew that um, I, if ever there was a problem, I want to have somebody to turn to regarding that problem other than myself. So I then decided that what I should do is find the best oven I could find and have it imported from Naples because I thought that would be the best place to get an oven from. And uh, I started looking into it, and, and it was complicated to import an oven. And I, I, you know, one of the places I absolutely loved was Roberta's. And I had heard that they had found a, I believe it was a pizzeria in Naples that closed and they, they bought all the stuff from it and have it shipped over here, whatever the story was. Um, I know that they had gotten an oven used and didn't, you know. And I started thinking about, well, maybe I could find um, a used oven from somebody. Uh, and I thought back to when I had visited San Diego, maybe 2006, 
And uh, I went looking for a good place to have uh, wood-fired pizza. And I couldn't really find a place. And I found a place that was had... I found pictures online of this Italian guy building an oven in a, um, a coffee roastery. And apparently they were going to start serving pizza there as well. So I said, okay, when we go in August, this was earlier in the, in the year, um, that's where we're going to go for pizza in San Diego. So I kept on watching, you know, to see if they started serving pizza yet. And, you know, I, I had called them. I said, you serving pizza for that? Oh, no, not yet, but soon. Well, it turns out that they didn't know what the heck they were doing. They didn't realize what the city of San Diego was going to require of them in order to operate it. And um, it, it, we went to San Diego, and we had a nice panini there, but we didn't get to eat any pizza. And a couple of years later, um, I noticed that the oven still wasn't in operation. So I said, you know what, let me call this guy. Maybe, you know, maybe this oven could, you know, I could buy it from him and have it shipped and save all of the, the importation headaches, save some money. So I called him, he says, oh, no, we're going to use the oven. Yeah, okay. And uh, I said... But he said to me, uh, the guy who built it is now making what he calls mobile ovens that are built in um, Naples and shipped over here. And, you know, I looked into it a little bit. I said, do you know anybody else who has one of these? I could talk to him about it. And he gave me the name of a guy in Seattle who owned uh, uh, five places at the time, maybe six, called Via Tribunale. His name was uh, Mike McConnell. And after... Um, Numerous efforts to, to contact him. We finally talked, and he had good things to say about it. And that was my decision to get a uh, Steph, Stefano Ferrara, or Stefano Ferrara, excuse me. So Stefano Ferrara is a, is a big oven. When you guys built out the restaurant, how did you get it in here? Well, I knew exactly where it was going to go. I, I, you know, I saw this restaurant had the perfect spot for it. As a matter of fact, that's why I was really eager to rent this space, because... It, it was a perfect spot for it in the back of the restaurant where it would be fully visible, you know, to all the diners. And there was a concrete floor under it because the thing weighs 6,000 pounds. Um, I was going to have some guy who was like a jack of all trades. He did some of my electricity. He did some of my other stuff, air conditioning. I was going to have him bring it in. But I could tell as, as the oven was about to arrive about three days before um, that he was a little nervous about it. Okay. So I, I pulled the trigger and decided that um, I, I was going to look and get a rigger because riggers are expensive. And I, um, I called Matthew from Motorino, and I asked him who he used because I know he used the rigger to, to get it in there. And he gave me the name of the guy, and he was somewhere out in, uh, in I forget that, I think it's Liberty Rigging or something, out in Queens um, or someplace like that. And I called the guy, and he came, and... They, they took the thing in here. They had to actually put it on roller skates because the front of the restaurant has a basement and they were afraid that um, the weight couldn't support uh, the oven and, and a um, forklift. Forklift is heavier than the oven, believe it or not. Um, and they put it on roller skates. They rolled it back there and um, put it in place. They actually had to put it on a gantry. Um, like that's the kind of thing you lift car engines out of cars with and dropped it onto the legs. And there it was. So when you were building out the space, you met Evan and Oliver Hasselgrave, who at the time were just starting out. Um, they had done, I think you, you, you met them well, on Manhattan Ave in, in Manhattan right. Inn, is that right? 
Right. They had done a place called Glasslands, which I don't think they like because they never mention it. They never promote the fact that they did that. And they did a place called Elsa in, in, in East Village. The way I met them was I had interviewed somebody um, for a position, and I mentioned that I liked the idea of mismatched chairs in the restaurant because one of the things that I absolutely love was Roberta's. Uh, I just... I love the things that they did. I love how they took a place that was, you know, a dump and didn't spend much money at all and created a, a place that was very special. And one of the things that I noticed about it that subliminally told you that all these things that they did told you that what was important was the food that they were serving, not the decor, and they're not trying to baffle you, you know, with all kinds of bullshit. Um, and one of those things I noticed was having mismatched chairs. It says, you know, I'm not trying to have all of these chairs look the same and look pretty. Um, so I thought that was a good idea, and, and I mentioned this to this person, and she uh, said she had a friend that worked in a place um, in a story called Builded Green, which was a, a you know a, a salvage place that had old furniture and things. And um, I checked it out, and I called them. They said, "Yeah, we have a we have a lot of chairs." And uh, I went there, you know, I looked on the website to get directions, and here was this little thumbnail that said, come check out the Manhattan Inn. Um, built it almost exclusively with materials from Builded Green. So that intrigued me. Uh, you know, they had these guys um, who, you know, built this restaurant from all this reclaimed stuff. Um, so um, I went and I got my mismatched chairs. And one night, Mr. G and I were at a, a, a now defunct Polish restaurant, Lomchit Yanka, uh, on uh, Manhattan near Bedford. I wish it was still there. It was a great little place. It was a great place. Yeah, it's gone. I'm surprised uh, you were able to pronounce the name. That's the first time I've heard anybody. People usually refer to it as the place with the black and gold awning. I, I actually took a picture of the place to show people because I couldn't pronounce it. And eventually I got the hang of it. You do something enough, you get the hang of it. But it was great. Uh, but we were there, and I said, honey, let's. I want to go next door here. I want to go to this place. I want to check something out. And I went in there, not just to see it. I, I, I went in with the attention of maybe you know, talking to these guys because I, I saw that these guys were young guys, the kind of people that I want to come to my restaurant. They were building places that people in this, in this neighborhood wanted to go to. And so uh, subconsciously, at least, I wanted to meet them and maybe find a way to use them. Um, but I didn't know if I could afford them. So I went in and looked around, you know, um, and, and the first thing that struck me was the sconces they had on the wall. The, the sconces were made out of sugar canisters, the glass sugar canisters with the metal top that you see in the diner, the screw-up metal top. Mm -hmm. They made sconces out of it, and I thought that was, I thought that was really cool. So I, I asked for the owner. I didn't say why. Can I speak to the owner, please? Uh, she came out. Um, and I complimented her on the place. What a beautiful place. And she said, oh, well, the guys who built it are here. You know, I, I think I told them I was building a restaurant nearby, pizzeria. And she said, well, the, guy, the guys that built the place, one of them, you know, they work here, actually. And one of them's here tonight. Would you like to meet him? And I said, absolutely. And I, I met Evan Hasselgrave. And um, he was very excited to show me all of his work. I think he, you know, it, it was winter time. Uh, they probably didn't have much work, and um, you know they were more excited, you know, to do the work for me. I think than I was to have them, and I didn't realize it at the time, though. Um, but 
I didn't think that I could afford them, but what I, I did think was, maybe you could build me some tables. He said, oh, yeah, sure. But we have to come and um, see the place first so that we can tell what we, the tables need to look like to match it with what you're doing. Blah, blah, blah. And, and they came back. He, he, he brought his brother uh, Oliver with him. And I looked at the place, and I, I just, I, to this day, I remember Oliver walking around, looking at the place, just imagining what he could do with it. He was, he was licking his chops. He saw what a great space it was. Um, so we came to an agreement to build the tables, but I remember him telling me, listen, you know, you got to make sure this place is locked up. We're going to bring our tools in here. We have expensive tools, and we're going to build these tables right in the restaurant because, you know, unbeknownst to me, they weren't these fancy builder designers. They didn't have a studio to build stuff in, right? So um, I said, sure. And, and the thing was, once they were in here, it was the dead of winter. They didn't have uh, much other work lined up. I, I believe at the time they... They were working on one other place, and they were working on Duck Duck on Montrose in, uh, in Bushwick. Um, and they kept on, you know, sort of mentioning to me, you know, we could do this for you, we could do that for you. You know, you'd be surprised. We could do this whole project. We could work within your budget, blah, blah, blah. And, and fortunately for me, I was wise enough to, to agree to have them do the rest of the place. And here we are. Because I'm not just selling pizza here. I know when people come in here, it's not just for the pie. People like being in this room. They do. It's a very seductive. It's a very seductive environment, particularly at night. I, you know, I've come to de deplore daylight savings time because it just takes so long for this place to get dark. So, March of 2010, the restaurant is ready to open. When you first opened, you were working the pizza oven, right? Was I and, was. And Derek? My plan, everyone who I wanted to be like, uh, Mark Lucale, Chris Bianco. Don DeMarco. Phoenix, Don DeMarco, uh, Anthony Mangieri, they were all the pizza makers. So I thought a, a, a successful, the only place where it wasn't like that was, well, actually, every once in a while, Matthew made pizza too at Monterino. Um, it was Roberta's, the owners didn't make pizza there. Uh, but I thought that that was the, that was the successful formula. You've got to be the guy making the pizza. Um, and um, my son came to work with me when we first opened. And um, thank God for him because he was my, my, my main pizza maker for the first year. Um, and I started making pizzas. And we had a friends and family night, um, uh, you know, a few days before we opened. And we had a disaster because the guy that I hired to be my quote-unquote chef um, like totally came apart, uh, causes all kinds of problems. And you know, on our friends and family night, I had a bunch of dough that had blown up in the walk-in. Uh, long story. And uh, I called Chris Parancini from, uh, from Roberta's and, and said, listen, I'm really jammed here. Can you help me out? And I, you know, I didn't know how hard it was to get people to come, you know, just send over pizza makers. He sent me over his two best people. He sent me over uh, Angelo Womack and Anthony Falco to help out. Anthony came during the day, was prepping. Uh, Angelo came at night, was making pizza, showing us how to make pizza. Angelo, they, they came back too during the week. Angelo um, actually came and, and taught us some tricks, charged us a lot of money, but he deserved it. 
Um, probably never reported that to the IRS either, but it's probably the past <laughs> seven years now, so everything's fine. Um, and um, and I, I, that, even that first night, it, you know, we, we made a bad decision. Uh, we decided to do it like buffet style. So I had 60 people in here, 60, 70 people waiting for pizza, and I could only make, you know, a couple of pizzas at a time. But uh, that night, I started doing the math. I said, how do these other people do it? And I, and, and I realized right there in the middle of making pizza that I had 65 seats, and all these other places had 35 to 40 tops. And I realized it's just, you know, uh, I can't be making a pizza myself all the time. So um, I, I, you know, I hired pizza makers, and my son Derek, you know, was still making pizza. But eventually, um, we went for about five months, five and a half months without uh, a wine and beer license. And we just kept our head above water. Um, it, you know, it, it went well. We were well received. We had a lot of blemishes. Fortunately, the people at Greenpoint were willing to overlook those blemishes because they really welcomed us with open arms. They wanted to have a place to call their own in Greenpoint. They, not only were there, you know, there were no, um, um, there were no restaurants around, okay? And, and there's certainly no, you know, pizzerias like this. And, you know, Roberta's had, Roberta's had, you know, a great reputation then. And there was Fornino in Williamsburg. And they wanted to have a place like this to call their own. So for the first six months, I was making the pizza, and it, it was it was hard work, okay. Um, but eventually, we did get our wine and beer license, and when we did, everything doubled overnight. Uh, you know, along the way, um, people wanted to talk to me while I was making pizza, and it slowed everything down. Issues um, came up during service that that only I could address, and I had to address those things, and it slowed things down. And eventually, you know, these guys got good enough where they, they chased me out and said, go ahead, go out and schmooze, go out and schmooze, don't worry about it. That's what I did. And basically what I did was I hired, uh, you know, another pizza maker for each shift. And um, from that point on, it's really been a dream life for me because I'm doing what I, what I just love to do. I, you know, I, I love to, to meet people and talk with them and, you know, and, and talk with people I know already. And I'm a very social person. And it gives me the opportunity to make sure that everything's going well. And um, I've been doing that ever since. So we met a few months into the opening of the restaurant. You, I had read about you on Slice, um, found out that there was this new pizzeria. First, I'd, saw, I'd seen the article about the tasting in your backyard. So I followed you from there. And then I saw that you, you were opening in Greenpoint and uh, came down to try your pies uh, I, my first experience with Neapolitan pizza was with uh, Motorino, which I loved. And here was my second experience. And I was sitting in the corner, and you came by the table, and we started talking about pizza. And at the time, I was making a lot of pizza at home. And you invited me to come in and, and start learning how to make pizza here and become a pizza apprentice. Um, the honey, at the time, I was just making as a hobby. And I didn't mention it the first time we we met. I think I it was later on after I had already been apprenticing here for a few weeks. Uh, no, that's not how it worked at all. Okay, um, you said to me as I was walking away after that first discussion when we first met, you said, "Oh, oh, I'm going to bring my condiment." I said, "Condiment?" I said, "What condiment?" You'll see. First time. I, he has Mike has a, has a problem. 
with his memory here, okay? Uh, I know this stone cold. And uh, he did come in that first day. My son Derek was here. It was probably 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday. I, for some reason, I seem to recall it being a Wednesday. And he came in, and he had a bottle of hot honey in his hand. The first time he came. Not unless a few weeks later or anything. Um, sure about that? And, and I was excited about it. I am dead positive about it. All right. You said it before I walked through. I'm going to bring my condiment. It's been a long okay? time. Um, it has been. So uh, he came in with it, and I was excited about it because one of the things that I love to do when I had the opportunity was was find people in the um, area, uh, you know, local people, and feature their ingredients if I could. Um, you know, there's some benefits to it. Um, you're bonding with the community that way. It's very important for me to bond with the community, which I wanted to get get back to the the, the brothers Hasselgrave there. That's really was very important to me to hire them so that I could bond with the community. Um, so I also like to find ingredients. And the first person I did that with was uh, Ross Hutchison, who made um, bacon marmalade. Right. Uh, and I found him shortly before the restaurant opened um, in a, in a um, food uh, market that they, uh, it was like a roving Greenpoint food market run by uh, Joanne Kemp. Okay, it was, it was a great market. Um, they used to do it in the church over here, right? The, I went to the church over by McGorlick Park. That's right. the, the, the Saturday, or, or I guess it was a Saturday they had it. I went there, and I went around. I was introducing myself to everybody. I'm opening up a pizzeria. I'm looking for ingredients we could, you know, could use, blah, blah, blah. And sure enough, I found this bacon marmalade, and I said, ooh, you know what? This could work. And, you know, I got, I got his card, and... I contacted him, and um, he came in after the restaurant was open, and we um, uh, put, you know, we found a pie that worked. We both, you know, agreed that um, that would be a good way to serve it. And it it was, you know, it was fortuitous for the both of us because I I got to promote somebody in the community. He got to get his uh, his project, product well-known. And Mike came, you know, came to me shortly thereafter, and I saw the same opportunity, and I was very happy to do it. We, um, we had a pie called the Del Boy, which was named after my son, um, and I said, you know what, this would go good on that, and we originally called it the... Um, it was Fire Up the Del Boy. It was Fire Up the Del Boy. Because we put the honey on and fire it up. And we had this thing when we were making pizza. We'd always say, you know, when somebody had a pie that was ready to be fired, it was really an inefficient operation. Thank God we figured it all out. Um, we would say, fire up the, you know, fire up the green pointer, fire up, you know. So we would say, <laughs> it was very funny, at least to us it was, or to me. We'd say, fire up the fire up the Del Boy. <laughs> and if Del Boy was on the oven, we'd say, fire up the fire up the Del Boy, Del Boy. And um, and then eventually, not long afterwards, I, I don't know where I came up with the idea for calling it the Hellboy, but I did. And I think it was a customer. Is that right? They suggested yeah, some, it? somebody suggested it. That does yeah. sound familiar. Yeah. And, it, and I think it, it changed that night or the next that day. That night. It was, it was, I think it was pretty quick. It was, a, it was a great idea. It was a good, yeah, because the other thing was cumbersome. So that was summer of... 2010, when yep. I first started coming in here as an apprentice, and I remember you were still making pizzas at the time. So some of the shifts I worked, I was working with you and your son Derek on the oven, 
except you'd leave us to go schmooze on the floor and we'd be left with only two guys on the oven, which wasn't enough to really work the oven. Well, it, it was at that point because we weren't selling alcohol and people, you know, not only were people, you know, not coming because they, you know, because we didn't have any alcohol, but they just, you know. No, when, when you got your liquor license, um, you gave me my first bartending gig. I had never tended bar, but I think you asked me if I knew how to tend bar, and I said I could pour, I could pour beer and wine. That's what we had. Yeah, that's, that's what we had. It was perfect. <laughs> By the way, Mike didn't come here to make pizza or tend bar. He just came here to get that honey on the pizza. Come on. Okay? Come on. <laughs> Believe me. Actually, I remember having him make salad one night. He was maybe the most unhappy person I met in maybe I was a good years. salad boy. Yeah, but you weren't happy about it. You weren't well, happy about doing salad. I liked making the pizza better. You did. And, and but I did make some nice salads. Oh, by the way, uh, I don't know when you're going to hear this. I probably won't hear this until after he comes back on a pizza shift. But Mike's going to be making pizza here again soon. That's right. Saturday night. You trust me to work? Uh, no, I don't. But I have no other choice. Well, you know, I talked to Tall about it, who's another person who makes pizza here and... and we were trying to figure out where I'm gonna where I'm gonna sit in the rotation. I'll probably be stretching dough. It's been hey, a while since I've topped pies, and I I definitely can't work a Saturday on the oven. Oh yeah, Mike, Mike is get Mike is definitely gonna be stretching dough. So, but it'll be good. It'll be front and center. I I, I built the I built the thing. It's a tribute to Lucale. My pizza table is like a little altar with candles on it, and Mike is gonna be the pizza priest that night. Okay, that's what Lucali, when you go to Lucali, you see him standing there overlooking the congregation. And that's the way this thing is. So you can come in that night if this thing gets published. But is it this Saturday? It's this Saturday, yeah. Oh, well, well you're going to have to go back and rewind to see this one. Well, I'll get, I'll get in the mix if you put me back in the rotation. I'm pretty deep on the bench right now, but <laughs> every once in a while I get called up. So, uh, so it's been almost... It's been, what, six and a half years now since you opened? Seven, seven years, years, one month, four weeks. Seven years now, wow. Maybe. How? The ninth will be two months. So from the original menu, how many pies did you start with when you first opened? There were, I guess, about eight. I remember we had maybe six pies and then four specials or something, three specials sometimes, maybe a little more. Now I got to ask you, because when people come to eat here... And not only the pizza, but the vibe, the, the, the room, the music is a really big part of the dining experience. You spend an awful lot of time curating the playlist. I do. I, I love my playlist. Which um, did you spend more time on, the playlist or the menu? Uh, the playlist, for sure. Every Monday, that's what I love to do. I, lo I look for more songs. So the playlist started, and, and I have to credit um, the Hasselgraves again. I, I put my playlist on when they were building the place out, and they would um, you know, they'd listen to it. And when I talked about what was going to be on the place, they said, you know, you should just focus on the late 60s, early 70s rock and R&B. I think that would be best. And, and, you know, the fact that they said that told me that that would be the right thing to do because, you know, I was looking to attract and entertain, you know, people like them. Um, I was pleasantly surprised to hear that that's the kind of stuff that they thought people want to hear. So uh, I embrace that because that, that's, you know, that era, that's the music I absolutely love. Uh, and it started about 1,500 songs. And right now we're, um, 
We're up to about 4,600, and I, I think I have another few hundred to update. Uh, I haven't updated the, uh, the iPod in a while. Um, but I, you know, I, I love to play the music here. That's, you know, I just, I love introducing music to people. I keep popular songs, very popular songs off the playlist, unless it's a song I really love. Like maybe a Hendrix song that everyone knows is on there. I mean, Purple Haze is a good example. Actually, I don't think I have the studio recording of Purple Haze, but I have a couple of live versions. Uh, there's no Layla allowed on my playlist. Actually, there is one version of Layla on the playlist because it was the one time that Dwayne Allman actually played with Derek and the Dominoes, who was in Tampa, Florida. It's a horrible recording, but because of the historical significance of it, it's on a playlist. But other than that, there's no Layla, there's no Stairway to Heaven, there's you know, no really popular stuff, because I like to play, I like to make the playlist more interesting, and um, I don't want it to sound like classic rock radio. There's one band that I'll always associate with this place. Can you guess, guess the band? The band. That's right. I, have, I believe I have every band song yeah. on there recorded, as well as every Allman Brothers song yep. and live recordings. The, the, the band, um, a lot of people in this community really love the band, uh, at least when we opened it. There, there were a lot of bands that, um, that followed in their footsteps, so to speak. They were really revered, and I'm glad of that because, you know, I think that, that attracted people, too. So, you're now seven years in. You've got locations in Chicago, Baltimore, Columbus, Miami, and you're about to open a slice joint around the corner. I am. Tell uh, us about the slice joint and the inspiration for, for that project. The, um, what happened was, um, a few years ago now, or two and a half years ago, um, I, I decided that I didn't like what a, a pizza box did to my pizza. And um, although it was a significant part of my business, I felt that I was busy enough that I, I could afford to not do takeout any longer. Uh, in, in addition to it losing some of its um, character, um, it, it made the dining room, uh, the waits in the dining room for their pizzas longer because somebody would come in, they'd say, oh, how long is the wait? You know, they'd say an hour and a half, or they'd say two hours sometimes. And, you know, people didn't want to wait that long to eat. And, and they'd say, well, can I get takeout? And, and the host would say, yeah, sure. I mean, the host worked on tips, and they knew that the takeout pies were, you know, their bread and butter. Um, so they would take orders, sometimes six, seven pies for takeout. So that slowed down the dining room. Um, it's, it, it, it made the weights increase for people waiting for a table. And I just... I decided I was at a, at a point where I could do it. I thought I'd make up for all of the lost revenue uh, by having more people come in and dine in and drink you know, my alcohol rather than going home and drinking the, the, you know, the beer from the bodega. But it, it didn't really work out that way. But uh, I'm still glad that I did it. Um, and, but I saw that there was a demand for takeout pizza. People really complained at first until they got used to the fact. They wanted to come in. You know, typically it was that people found out for the first time, oh, no, takeout. Um, they wanted to... Um, they wanted to go to Transmitter Park over here with a pie. The thing, by the way, that, that I should mention that, that, you know, put me over the edge and, and made me pull the trigger on, on it was that one day there was, a, there was somebody who came in, parked their bicycle... 
came in and, and, and then I saw them taking like seven pies, seven or eight pies, right, to go. And, and it just didn't look like somebody who would be, you know, I don't know what's going on. Hey, what's going on? You got a party going on? And, oh, no, no, I, I, uh, I'm with Postmates. And I didn't know much about Postmates. But uh, I said, really? Well, how's that? You know, well, you know, they call and we deliver, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, so where are you going with those pies? You know, I was a little concerned about pies traveling too far. We had a bad experience, actually, with the, the uh, rap party for vinyl, which was filmed right around the corner here, uh, where they ordered 50 pies, and they, they insisted on it. I, I really didn't want to do it. And then they came back and complained about the way it all turned out. Um, but So I was kind of conscious of this anyway. And a guy says uh, to me, uh, I'm going to Stuyvesant Town. And it was on a bicycle. I mean, by the time those pizzas get there, they're going to be ruined. So yeah. that really, you know, made me decide to pull the trigger on that. Um, but I started looking into, I got the idea of, um, because New York-style pizza travels well and reheats well, to, to maybe, you know, get a slice joint. There was a slice joint around the corner. I thought that maybe he'd be interested in, in selling, and I, went, I started having discussions with him. He gave every indication that he wanted to sell um, verbally, but, you know, actions speak louder than words, and it dragged on for months and months and months, and finally I just, I said, you know what? I'm going to look for another space, and... Um, and I told the guy, I said, look, you know, are we going to do something here? Because if not, I'm going to open up another space nearby. And, you know, uh, I, I got to be frank with you. It's, it's going to hurt your business, you know. And he, he wasn't really selling. So I eventually found this space, a beautiful space on um, Franklin and Noble. It, it, I wanted to just, I wanted a little slice joint, you know, corner slice joint. But this particular space came with this four-car garage that they were turning into a, a space as well in back of it. And they said, if I wanted the corner spot, I had to rent the garages, uh, you know, the, the back part of it as well. If you just want to rent one space, he said, we'll, we'll, we'll rent you the, the back part because it would be easier for them to rent the front to somebody else. And I didn't want to at first, but I decided, okay, I'm going to do that. I'll sublet it. Uh, maybe to somebody, or maybe we'll do ice cream back there. I had all kinds of ideas. As a matter of fact, one of them was to see if, uh, you know, Mike wanted to do something with it in terms of, you know, either his office or something. And we talked about that a little bit, but it just, that didn't work out. And finally, I just said, you know what? I'm going to take the whole thing and um, I'll turn it into a sports bar, too. That wasn't a good idea because uh, nobody on Noble Street... Um, wanted anything to do with having a sports bar on their, their beautiful, pristine, landmarked street. So um, I went through months back and forth with the neighbors trying to uh, appease them. And in January, we, um, we, uh, we finally you know, came to terms that they're backing us. And uh, I, we've since been approved conditionally for our wine and beer license. So... Um, uh, we hope to open soon. Okay, our landlord's construction guy is um, causing lots of problems, and we're going to open soon. But we're really excited because it's going to be a 60s-style slice joint. I have old furniture from a slice joint. Matter of fact, I'm so happy about this. The, the, the boots that I got, these pizza benches that I got, were the same benches that... Um, my children sat in growing up eating pizza in Martinsville, New Jersey. That's great. And, and, and what was I the just, place they came from? 
That was a place called Joe's Pizza. They've been there for 30 something years. He, he remodeled like, you know, a few years ago. And I went in there and I showed him a picture of Elegante, I think it's called Elegante Pizza on Fifth Avenue in Bay Ridge. Yep. I showed him these orange boots and I said, yeah, it's, uh, because I went there to pick his brain. Nice guy, Jerry, the owner's son. He's the owner now, too. Um, and I told him what I was going to do. Um, and I said, yeah, and I'm gonna, I want to get benches like this. And I showed him a picture from the New York Pizza Project book of that of Elegante Pizza in there. And he said, he looked, at me, I have those. And, and I, you know, I thought, I realized that he had refurbished the place a few years ago. And he said, well, really? And, and I really wanted boots like that. And I didn't know how much it would cost. I didn't even look into it yet. And I said, what do you want for it? He said, want for it. My wife's going to kill me if I don't get it out. I was about to chop them up this week. <laughs> my wife's going to kill me if I don't get them out of my garage immediately. And uh, they were about to have a baby. Um, they needed space in the garage. So, Major um, score. Big time score. Big time. And 68 you got the, bucks. You... 68 bucks for a U-Haul. Uh, Derek and I... Went and we made a couple of trips. Uh, my back hurt for about a week and a half. His back hurt for about a day and a half. And you got the Coke sign from Scar. Yes, I did. Shortly after I had this wonderful idea to have a 60s pizza joint, um, I read that this 60s pizza joint opened up on Orchard Street in, um, <laughs> on the Lower East Side. My, my heart kind of sunk that somebody came up with the same idea. But, uh, I went over there and... Um, as I do with every pizzeria I could find, I made friends. Uh, I told them how much I love the place. I um, so this is Scar's Pizza on Orchard, Orchard and Street Canal. near Canal. I went in. I introduced myself to Scar. I found out that he's kind of a pizza celebrity. Uh, he he made pizza in all of these places that I love, like uh, Lombardi. Yeah. Where else? Joe's. Artichoke. Worked in a lot of places. I'm yeah. wondering if he got fired from all these places. <laughs> he even worked in Emilio's Bellato, which is a place that I love, if you've seen my chef's night out. On Houston, right? Yeah. He worked there as well. And, and, and we got to talking, and he knew of me. He'd been to my place. He loves my pizza. I can't believe how much. He, he, he scares me when he says how much he loves my pizza because I, I feel a lot of pressure to keep on making sure he loves my pizza. And um, he had the place decorated with um, Pepsi stuff. And he said that, you know, I asked him where he got all the stuff, and he said he went to a bowling alley that was closing. They got all this stuff. And I even got this, actually, no. And, and I had forgotten about this, but Scott Wiener said, you should go to Scars. He has an old Coke sign. Because he knew I was trying to get uh, the Coke sign from Carmine's on Norman Street that closed. I was actually trying to get their, their sign, too. None of it worked out. But he knew I was looking for a sign. And he said, you should go to Scars, get the sign. So that's what I did. He mentioned his sign in the basement. And, Gave me the sign. And at first, I didn't like the way it quite looked at first. It wasn't exactly what I was looking for. But it, it, I said, you know what? I got to use this sign. And, and it actually did grow on me. It looks really cool. Um, and now, Scott, thank you again, Scott. He this is found Scott of Scott's Pizza Tours. Scott Wiener of Scott's Pizza Tours. He found a Coke machine in his neighborhood that was like undercover. You could see it through the chain link fence, undercover. I was sitting there. And, you know, I have a Coke machine in the restaurant here. It's worth thousands of dollars. It's from 1950. Well, this thing was from sometime in the 60s, maybe 70s. And he found it. He showed me a picture of it. And he says, you know, I, I, I could probably get it for you. And I mean, you know, I said, well, what does the guy want for it? He says, the guy wants $300. I'm going to offer him two for you. All right? Wow. <laughs> 
So yeah, I got it for two hundred dollars. Wow! And, and it matches the Coke logo on that sign on that machine matches the Coke logo on the sign that Scar gave me that I'm very excited to use. I went out and I bought the little letters that you stick into the signs, and it, it's I, I could just hardly wait to to get in there. Now you're also yeah. gonna have. Uh, the fruit punch recirculating in that little... Recirculating. Yes, I am. I, I have a Cornelius Jet Spray JT20 double-bowl uh, double beverage dispenser, okay? Uh, and if you know anything about old-school pizzerias, they always had them. Sometimes they had grape in them, but my the two drinks that I love from my slice joints are uh, punch and orange, and I'll have punch and orange in there. Um, more see. importantly, we need to talk about how this place is going to run. How am I going to run a slice joint, Right? With, with, while I'm running this place, it's very important that I'm here running, you know, Holy G's on Greenpoint Avenue. Um, but uh, Andrew Brown, who, um, you know, works for me here, um, said that he wanted to do this. He wanted to, you know, run a slice joint with me. And I started thinking about it, you know, and, and everything went along. And then along the way, I talked with uh, Frank from, um, from Best Pizza. Frank Pinello, and he scared the shit out of me, and he made me think, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe, you know, he made me think that, you know, this, this, uh, this is a lot of challenges in this thing. And I went back and I told Andrew, I said, you know what, uh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe we should just forget about this thing. I should focus on helping uh, all of my other places get open because these places were just coming on online and in the different cities that Mike mentioned before. And Andrew said, we're going to do this thing. You don't worry about a thing. I will take care of everything. Okay, and and he talked me right back into it, and you know, and I felt really good about that because I know I had somebody, who, you know, who's really dedicated to it. He wants to do this, and he wants to make it special, and he's been busting his ass ever since to make it happen. We're gonna have to have Drew. Well, Drew was on the roundtable podcast, so we're gonna have to do another slice joint dedicated podcast once you guys open. Do you want to go down your list of prohibited peas for the record? You mean, what's, you mean what's left of that? Well, let's talk about the list and then let's talk about what you've taken off the list. So, so Paulie has a has a list of prohibited ingredients that he believes do not have no have no place on a pizza. Um, these include things like Pineapple, I believe that was on the they, original. Yeah, they, list. they all seem to start with pig. The first one was so, pepperoni because I fell in love with the hot soup rosada from uh, Sal Maria Balese. And I fell in love with it from the, the pie that Matthew um, Motorino stole from uh, Michael at Fornino. He stole that pie and he did it. It was a great pie. And then I stole it from him. Okay, and it became the Dell Boy. Um, and uh, so I, I, you know, I was a proponent of hot supersada, no pepperoni, okay? So that was one. And you definitely don't want to put pasta on pizza. You don't want to put uh, potatoes on pizza. No potatoes on pizza, okay? That is never going to come off that list. Uh, but, of course, pineapple was on the list. There are lots of people like me who, you know... Johnny Darsky's putting potatoes on pizza. Yeah, so does Jim Leahy, but Paulie G is never, ever. Never say never, Paulie G say never. No potatoes on pizza. But there are others, too. Pasta. You could put that on a T-shirt. You should make Paulie G's T-shirts with that slogan. As soon as I make them, I'll wind up putting it on a pie. It'll be worthless. You can put the prohibited peas list and then X out the ones that have been removed from the the prohibited list. All right, that's a good idea. pineapple. That's a good idea. I like that. So the pineapple gets off the list because it's pickled here? Is that That's correct. It's a double pea. So the peas cancel each other out. Uh, Adam Jones, my ex-pizza maker, who I I, I miss uh, dearly, 
Uh, he came up with that idea, along with some other pies. Um, and he said, you got to try this. He was very excited about it. Adam always got excited about coming up with, with pies. And he's come up with some really good ones for me. And I was one of them, uh, pickle, pineapple, and speck. Um, Can so, I tell you, com- combining pepperoni with pineapple is one of my favorite can, can I tell you that Mike tells me this once a week, and yeah. I am going. I promise you, they're Mike, both on the prohibited P list. But you should combine, you should combine them and, and, and try it out. I, I, I'm going to do that. Well, not here. I'm not going to do pepperoni here at Paul Juice. Maybe at the slice joint, but I'm not going to do. Maybe at the slice joint. The slice because the Come slice on. joint's going to be. You'll definitely have pepperoni at the slice joint. Well, definitely pepperoni, but not pineapple. Okay. The slice joint's going to be very classic. We're going to have regular pie, pepperoni pie. We're going to have an upside-down Sicilian, uh, probably or most likely with sesame seed on the bottom. Uh, we'll do some other squares. Uh, we're going to do uh, vegan squares. Um, and thanks to our friend Vincent in uh, Evil Pie in Vegas, we may even consider doing some gluten-free because he came up with a great gluten-free recipe. He sure did. He won the he won the award at the Pizza Expo for he, best he, gluten-free pizza. He, he, well, don't let, don't let his head get too big. He won second place. Second place. We got to find out who the first place was, right? I don't know. In any case, he came up with that, and um, you know, I kind of like the idea if, if you could if you could make it happen in a pan and not contaminate the oven. Maybe we won't have to lawyer up. Uh, but it's going to be very basic. Other than that, we're definitely going to have we're going to ser- use Numu cheese, which we love. Um, and so the the prospects of having pine, pickled pineapple on a on a pie there uh, is not that great. But I'm trying to think of the other pesto was another. Um, Pea that was not going on pizza. Now that's on your your menu. Yes, it is. Not only pesto though, but it's a kale pesto. And we're not being trendy. It's just a great pesto. Not only does uh, is is it a pesto, it's a nut free pesto, which you know people absolutely love. But before we move on, we got to talk about kale because one of my personal favorites from the menu was the rooftop red that had it was a red pie with tomatoes, kale, and parm. And I love that pie, and it's no longer in the menu. It's not because it was too much like the arugula schmugula. And Rooftop Red's a cool name. Um, but they couldn't supply the, the Rooftop Farm on Eagle Street would supply me with the kale. That's why we call it the Rooftop Red. They can't supply me with enough kale, even the other places. What about Gotham Greens? Uh, does Gotham Greens have kale? I don't know. No. No, they don't. They do. They, they, they do your basil, it. right? Oh, they have the best friggin' basil in the yeah, world. Yeah, their basil's they good. They really do. Except my my pizza maker Mo, he put basil on our French onion soup last night. I'm still trying to figure out where he got that idea. Mo. <laughs> so um, the kale pesto, by the way, that recipe, we we were getting it from chopped uh, salads. They're great, uh, and they. Um, they, they actually stopped serving it at the restaurant and had us sign an NDA, and now we're executing their recipe for it on our, on our pies. So. Shout out to Anisha from, from Chopped for, for coming up with that excellent kale She's pesto recipe. She's the best. She's a sweetheart. Um, so I have, uh, I have some just rapid-fire questions that I want to run by you, and, and I know that it's tough for you to give short answers, so if it you, is. you could at least try. It is. I, I do want, I have a question for you before we go on. Sure. What music is playing over this interview right now? 
because I can't hear it because you're going to put it on later. I'm curious what you're going to choose because every interview I heard so far, you have music on the interview. Oh, um, well, I might do a custom track from my friend Micaiah McCraven, whose concert you missed last night. I did miss it. But, uh, uh, my peeps were here, and I had to. Yeah, I'm looking for some custom music, but I'd like to get him involved. But he's he's a friend of mine. who's a jazz drummer based in Chicago, but plays in New York regularly. He's a great jazz drummer. Um, played last night at New Blue uh, with a trumpet player Marquise Hill, also a, a great jazz musician. But um, yeah, I'm gonna try to get his music on the podcast. So, well. Makai, if you're listening, we'll have to talk talk music business. Um, so, anyways. Uh, I have these questions for you, and if you try to keep the answers short, I'd appreciate it, but, you know, I know that's not easy, so, um, all right, um, your favorite slice by Burrow? All right, we're going to start in Staten Island. Okay, that's Joan Pats. No problem. Queens, New Park Pizza. Uh, Manhattan, it's a square, but a square is a slice, right? Square counts. Uh, Prince Street Pizza. Um, Brooklyn, my favorite slice. Oh, boy. What am I forgetting? I must be forgetting something. Well, Joe's, best pizza. Kind of a toss-up right there. Am I allowed toss-ups? Yeah. Did I forget a borough? Did you say the Bronx? Bronx. Lou and Ernie. Lou Square and Ernie. at Lou and Ernie. With the sausage. I love their sausage. Their sausage pie is great, too, but the Square at Lou and Ernie is my choice. All right, you already mentioned a couple squares, but your your top three favorite New York squares. All right, well, well, Prince Street, even that's an upside down, so um, you can make a top five. All right, well, I know you got right, a lot of. Well, what, um, the square at Joe's on a given night is really good. Um, the square at Sal's Marinek, Westchester, is in New York, so we're throwing that in there. Um, what the hell am I forgetting? I'm forgetting something. Oh, and uh, Nassau County is in New York, so we're going to say the, the square of Geno's of Williston Park. That's a killer square right there. And I must be forgetting something. Umberto's on Long Island? I haven't had that. I've only had their grandma. Um, oh, um, the square at, at uh, Pizza Wagon. Pizza Wagon's a spot you put me on to down in Bay Ridge. Great spot. I do have to say, though, I do have to say that the square's been off a little bit lately. But to throw in another slice by Burrow, we got a, three great slices. The slice at Nino's at Bay Ridge is great, too, on a regular slice. I got to check that place out. Yeah. All right. Uh, favorite slice, not pizza, but slice outside of New York City. So it could be... How about outside of the Northeast? Let's 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 take away, you know, Connecticut and Jersey. I got, I He's got speechless, nothing for folks. You. I got nothing for you. Um, no, maybe when I go to Golden Boy, I like their slice. I still haven't been there. But Golden Boy has some nice squares. That's what I hear, you know. But I can't think of a slice, just a regular slice outside of New York City that that I love. All right, favorite Jersey slice. I think I know what you're going to say, but... Oh, I forget. I know I... Oh, Pizza Town. Pizza Town, USA. Pizza Town, yeah. That's a great little spot. Yeah. It's more than just the slice. It's the whole thing. And they got a great fried ham and cheese calzone. That's right. 
I love their the just the facade of of deck ovens they have in that place. Oh yeah, it's yeah. I don't know how many decks they have, but it's, it's pretty it's big. It's like a wall of marshals. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, favorite pizza topping. Oh my god, guanciale. It's a good one. Least favorite pizza topping. I you've already mentioned a few, but. Well, I got to tell you something. I, I, I have come to love them little ronies, okay? Especially the Ezo sausage ronies. So uh, it's, it's not, but least favorite is an egg. I am not a fan of egg on a pizza. I'm also not a fan of ricotta in the oven. Put ricotta on when it comes out. Number one, egg. Number two, cooked ricotta. Yes. All right. Favorite Polly G's pie, currently on the menu, and favorite Polly G's pie, no longer on the menu or off menu. Well, currently on the menu is our special. It's the umami. That's spelled O O O H M O M M Y, because it's full of U M A M I. Okay, uh, it's it's just a pie. Uh, I know you wanted short answers. Shishito peppers palm and a post oven uh, lemon juice squeeze. Can I put you on the spot for a second? You ever consider roasting the shishitos and just serving them as an appetizer alone off the pie? Absolutely. I, I considered that before I decided to make it a pie, but we don't serve appetizers here. We just serve a few salads, and I like to keep it simple. I didn't, and that's why I did what I did. Fair enough. Great question. All right. By uh, the way, shout out to Liberty Hall Pizza, where I got the idea for all of that when he served us that dude. appetizer. Shishitos. Parmigiano and a lemon aioli. You know where I had it was uh, Boot and Shoe Service in Oakland, which I think is owned by St. Peter on Pizzaiola. It is. It is. It's a great spot, but they had, I think they were doing roasted padrone peppers in the, in the oven, a little bit of sea salt, but they were great. I, I, and by the way, uh, I know short answer thing, but that's one of our other peas. No peppers on pizza, and there it is. Except for the peppers in Mike's Hot Honey. Well, that's different. But we do have peppers on pizza now, too, so another one we broke. Um, Favorite New York City... Oh, oh, I didn't finish answering. You want a a pie that's not on the menu anymore? Oh, yeah, yeah. A rooftop red. (laughs) Me (laughs) too. Uh, I do like that pie, but but there are others, too. I mean, the bacon marmalade pie, a lot of tough choices. Favorite New York City restaurant pre-1980? That's been around since, since before 1980. That's still around? That's still around. Well, you can pick one that's still around and one that's no right, longer uh, with us. Sam's. Sam's. Sam's, Sam's, and Sam's. The clams is Sam's. Clams is Sam's. If I've heard you pot. reckon, if, if I, you, you make a lot of food recommendations, you know, if you hang out at the restaurant, you, you'll, it's inevitable you're going to hear recommendations coming from you, and the baked clams at Sam's, I think, are number one. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Are. Best they've ever had. I make a lot of pizza recommendations, too, not just other foods. I'm happy to talk to people about what other pizza I love. All right, you're, you're a big Yankees fan, and you've got a little uh, chair behind the oven where you can post up and watch, watch the Yankee game where you kind of hide from the crowd if you need to catch a game. What's your favorite Yankee team of all time? 1976. It was the first time they went to the World Series in like 15 years. They didn't win. I got wiped out by the Reds. I was there in the freezing cold for Game Stream 4. It was ugly. But I loved that team. I loved Mickey Rivers. I loved Mickey Rivers that year more than Thurman Munson. Looking back, 
Is that your favorite Yankee of all time? Mickey Mantle is my favorite Yankee of all time, but 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 Rivers, I loved Rivers that year. Rivers was just, he was amazing. Now, how did you end up a Yankee fan and not a Dodgers fan? My father was a Yankee fan. Ah. Yeah, he, you know, I don't know. How, actually, he he lived in Brooklyn. Well, he lived in Manhattan later on. My father had a a night plan when the Yankees first opened. You know, started playing night games. He had a night plan because he worked during the day, and he looked at that and he had a night plan. What's what's the greatest Yankee game you've witnessed live? That's tough. Okay, I'd I'd, I'd like to say uh, when Reggie hit the three home runs. You were there for that. I was there for that with wow. Mrs. G, me, Mrs. G, and a bottle of peppermint schnapps in the last <laughs> row. Rumplemans. No, it was uh, Hiram Walker, I think. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Wow. I just know it was Peppermint Schnapps. It was a pretty small bottle. Uh, but uh, there's, there's too many choices for that, okay? Um, I was at, you know, the game where Chambliss hit the home run to go to the World Series. I'll never forget that. You hear me crying? Uh, <laughs> He's getting choked up. Uh, I was. I am. I was. Too many to, to, to. Oh God. You weren't there for the Aaron Boone home run against the Red Sox, were you? I was not. I was in a bar in in Riverhead, or not Riverhead, somewhere near Riverhead, Long Island. That was great. What a night. That was on but, my birthday. But, Still haunts oh me. Oh boy, I'm sorry, Mike. But wait, I'm not done. There's there's more games. Right. You're right. I'm not giving short answers because I was sitting in the front row on October 26, 1996, when I saw Joe Girardi run out the greatest triple I have ever seen. And they, they went, you know, they won the World Series for the first time in a long, long time. Um, I was there the night David Justice uh, hit a home run to come back against Seattle. Uh, God, I was there the night against the Mets when in the ninth inning, Paul O'Neill had a 13-pitch at bat to, to work out a walk. And I, I forget how they tied the game. I think it was Chuck Knobloch. Um, Sounds about right. I was there in the front row the night that Jeffrey Mayer caught that ball. Um, God. I was there the night... Ch- Chad, who, who, was, who was the guy against the Braves? Game three of 1999 when... Uh, Chad, somebody there, Chad, or whatever, hit the home run against um, the Braves after um, the Yankees tied it before. Oh, they tied. They hit like three home runs. David, I, I forget, not David Justice. So I was with a lot of great postseason games. The one game I wasn't at that I should have been at, but we had a friend's 35th birthday, 35th, not 40th, not 30th, 35th birthday party I had to go to. Josephine, we love it dearly. Um, sometime, it's like September 5th or something, but we went the night before, and I saw Manny Ramirez hit his first two Major League home runs. It was Hispanic night in the majors, but I didn't get to go the next day when a man with one hand pitched a no-hitter. Okay, so I missed that one. Were you present for any of the uh, games in the ALCS when the Red Sox came back and they were down 3-0 against the Yankees? They came back. I was present when the Yankees barely squeaked out a win against Schilling in game two, I think it was, or game one. But no, no, I didn't go to any of those games. Thank God. 
What year was that, by the way? I don't, I don't remember. That was uh, 2003-2004 season. It's, it's, it's kind of vague. You've, you've, yeah, you've, <laughs> you've wiped it clean from your memory. All right, moving on from, from, from Yankee lore, you just did a roast beef tour recently. What's your favorite roast beef sandwich in New York? Roll and roast them. And Scar, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I like that thing better than Brennan and Carr. And I love Brennan and Carr right there with it. And I'm sorry for you because you've never gone up to the North Shore of Massachusetts to have roast beef, which is where you should be going for roast beef if you really want the best roast beef. You want, you want to say it or do you want me to say it? Go ahead. I'm anywhere near Boston. There's only one place I'm eating, and that's the Daily Catch, period. That was going to be my last question. What's up with the Daily Catch? But since we're on it, what's up with the Daily Catch? It's you go to Boston, you eat you there multiple... Have you eaten at the Daily Catch? I have not. Then you'll know. It's just like Scar said on the, on the Pizza Expo podcast. What? You haven't been to Brennan and Carr, and you're telling us about Nick's? You got to go to Brennan and Carr. But... Two totally different things. I'll go. Though. I'll go to Nick sometime. Maybe on the way to Maine. Okay, but let's get back to the Daily Catch. This is what's up with the Daily Catch. I have a friend. I haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, his name is Joe Gambino, and he, he was a um, he's a technical guy. He sets up conferences for people, big time stuff, corporate conferences. And he had to go to Boston uh, for a conference to set it up. He's a technical director. Uh, Joe G. Uh, T. D. Technical director. Or something. Uh, that's his email. Um, and he said he went to this place. I had to try. He said he went there, and nobody loves food more than this guy. He went there on a Monday, and he went back every day that week. He was there, you know, through Friday. Went back every day. So that told me I had to check it out. And I went. It's a little Sicilian seafood place in the North End. 20 seats. Uh, it's just great stuff. The best fried galamata I've ever had. Um, and they do great things. A lot of garlic. Uh, they serve stuff right in a pan. And if I, you know, why bother eating anywhere else if I'm gonna go there? Yeah, but you go there and you eat there multiple times on the same trip to Boston. I do. I as I, I tell Mrs. G, we're going to Boston. We ain't going on no Freedom Trail. We ain't going on no duck boats. We ain't having no breakfast. We're having lunch and dinner at the Daily Catch, and we, and we do. Um, it's amazing. But. Um, what was the other thing? I don't know. All right. Uh, moving on. Oh, I proved how much I love the Daily Catch twice in less than a year now because uh, my sons uh, were going with their significant others from Philadelphia driving up to Boston for July 4th weekend. I made them stop at the restaurant here, pick me up. Uh, we went. They said they were going right to the Daily Catch. I said, I'm going. You got to come and get me. They said, oh, that, but that's out of the way, Dad. I said, never mind. I've gone out of my way for you more than once. They came. They got me. We drove up. We got there a little late. Got there about 1230. There was already a line, about 15 people ahead of us. But we waited it out. Uh, went in. We had a feast. Uh, and then they dropped me off uh, about 230 at the, um, the South Station. I got a train and came right back to Paulie G's. And I did it again. My son had an interview up there about a month ago. I drove up with him. I, I was going to my favorite Italian restaurant in New Jersey, the Belmont Tavern on the, uh, in Belleville on the Newark border. You got to go there sometime. Um, I, I had plans to go there that night to celebrate our friend's anniversary. Uh, it was like a 7 o'clock. And uh, my son was going up for an interview. I found a train that, that, that left 
you know, Boston around 145 or something and went right to Newark. And uh, I went up, I drove up with him. We got there an hour before they opened. We hung around. We went to Umberto's Galleria and got, we got some good squares there. I don't know if anybody in Boston's ever been there, but you should go. And then I got back on the truck and went to, uh, went to the Belmont Tavern. Something that, that few people know about you is that you're a ski enthusiast. I am a ski enthusiast. What's your favorite ski resort? Vail, Colorado. All right. There's a, there's a place in the Italian Alps, uh, Trentino, called Madonna di Campiglio that Vail is just trying to be. Uh, it's a wonderful place with great food and a really great mountain. But when it comes to a mountain itself, there's just no place like Vail. As their logo says, there's no comparison. Wow. All right. Um, on the music front, favorite album of all time? It's a tough question. That, uh, yeah, you, you can't ask me that. I mean, can, can I give you a few? You can give me a few. Allman Brothers at Fillmore East. Um, oh, God. Um, Electric Ladyland. Uh, There's this just way too many. There's just way too many. Top three live concerts you've seen. Um, well, the Allman Brothers at Fillmore East, okay, definitely. Jimi Hendrix, uh, closing, uh, New Year's Eve, 1969-1970. What was the venue? The Fillmore East. Oh, that was the Fillmore East. Yeah. Um, uh, the, um, I'm not a Springsteen fan, but maybe the greatest performance I've ever seen was Springsteen in 1985 at, um, at the Giant Stadium. And I'm not a Springsteen fan. I mean, I can appreciate some stuff, but it was just amazing. But there's, oh, Jeff Beck. Every time I see Jeff Beck, he gets better. The last time I saw him was at the Capitol Theater in um, Port Chester. Jeff Beck is a monster. Wow. All right, this is the last question I have on the list. What's your best piece of advice for someone wanting to open their own pizzeria? Believe and commit, okay? You gotta believe you can do it, and once you do, every obstacle that you come come in front of, you're gonna, you're gonna get over because you believe you can. If you don't believe you can accomplish opening up that pizzeria, as soon as something gets rough, you're gonna turn away. The other part is you gotta commit. You gotta tell people you're gonna do it. Don't be afraid to say, I'm opening up a pizzeria. And everything else will fall into place, but without those two things, not going to happen. Well, Paulie, I think we, we covered a few things. We'll probably have to have you on for a part two at some point. I'm good with part two. Um, but thank you for joining us here in the official Mike's Hot Honey podcast. Thank you for finally giving me the honor. And I'm sure we'll have you back again soon. Hope so. Well, there you have it, folks. Another episode of the official Mike's Hot Honey podcast is in the books. You can check out other episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. For more info on Paulie G's, visit paulieg.com. That's P-A-U-L-I-E-G-E-E.com. And from there, you'll find location, hours, and menus for Paulie G's in Brooklyn. 
as well as links to the other locations in Baltimore, Chicago, Columbus, and Miami. You can follow Polly on Instagram at PaulyG123. And if you're in New York City, be on the lookout for the new Polly G Slice Joint opening later this year. We hope you enjoyed all the pizza talk on this episode. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep drizzling, my friends. Nothing's with